The richer you get, the harder it is to manage your estate. There's lots of moving parts like portfolio diversity, tax mitigation, asset protection, and estate planning. That's why the ultra wealthy use family offices, and that's where Valerity Wealth comes in for you. Run by a former sovereign wealth fund manager, Valerity Wealth brings institutional level expertise to the high paid professional. Let Valerity quarterback your finances. Book your free consultation at ValerityWealth.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Montecito, California. And uh, today, I'm going to keep it brief on the intro because I have have like a cold or something here. And that's why I sound so baritone and masculine. Anyway, this week's Wealth Formula Podcast interview is going to be with Jay Parsons, uh, who is chief economist at RealPage. He's an authority on topics uh, affecting multifamily apartments, which, of course, is of significant interest to us as a group particularly to our investor club. By the way, if you'd like to join Investor Club or Accredited Investor Group and see some deal flow, go to wealthformula.com and sign up for it. And then there'll be an onboarding process. You do need to be an accredited investor, by the way. But listen, this interview, again, what you're going to see is uh, some similar themes to last week, which where Harry Dent was talking about how times are kind of bad and, you know, he was pessimistic and generally thought like, you know, we've got zombie apocalypse type situation coming up. I think that what you'll find with Jay is that he is acknowledging the current time is one of pain, which we as investors know. Uh, already so that's not a big surprise but I think the difference is the difference is that I think Jay's a little bit more optimistic about the future now what the two have in common is that they've both mentioned this idea of multifamily real estate as the darling of big money right now which I think is very encouraging and um, it makes me as somebody who owns a lot of multifamily real estate hoping that that they're that they're all right. I think they are, but uh, I am also hopeful. So that's what the show is about today. And without further ado, let's get some commercials out of the way and get this interview with Jay Parsons. Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector conservative investing with double-digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com, accesswealthaviation.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession-resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, 
these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is Jay Parsons. Jay uh, serves as a senior vice president and chief economist for RealPage, he, uh, leading the economists and industry principal teams to provide deep insights on market trends and consumer behaviors. He's also a frequent author and speaks on topics affecting multifamily apartments and single-family rentals, including rental housing investment and asset management strategy, rental housing, policy issues, risk mitigation, and property management. Jay, welcome to Wealth Formula Podcast. Thank you, and thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, this is uh, this is nice to have you on right now, because as we talked about a little bit offline, we, are, you know, our group, this, um, you know, this audience and me, we are heavily involved with multifamily. And um, obviously, we've got, uh, we had this uh, inflationary, uh, sort of unparalleled uh, uh, rate of inflation, or maybe, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that sounds about right. Uh, impacting uh, multifamily rentals. Um, so tell us what's going on there. I mean, from the buyer and seller's perspective and, uh, you know, just anything right now that, that you think that inflation is really affecting the most. Yeah, I know it's a great question. And, uh, you know, I think maybe the best term to describe it is one that we hear a lot these days, which it's been a roller coaster. I mean, yeah. you, you go back to March, 2020 world shuts down, uh, demand disappears for like two months, nothing's happening at all. And everyone's worried about the, you know, what type of investment activity is going to happen. Maybe the prices are going to go down. There's going to be, there's no starts that are happening at that point. Then you get to like May, June, all of a sudden there's this, you know, demand comes back and comes yeah. back and comes back. And we're like, how long is this going to last? Well, it ends up lasting like 18 months. And so we see this unprecedented boom in demand. I mean, just levels that we've never seen before. We added a million net new apartment renters in the U.S., market rate renters in the U.S., who, by the way, had big incomes, paying low 20% of income on rent. And then, um, you know, you get to then summer of 2022 and things start to slow down. And so now here we are. You know, occupancy rates have been coming down. Rent growth levels have cooled off. The market's not collapsing by any means, but certainly we've seen um, a cooling where we're kind of starting to see a little more normal. And so I think some people kind of forget that, you know, 10% rent growth is not normal. Yeah, that's right. So that's getting right. back to a little more normal. Yeah. What is, what is, what is uh, the latest, um, you know, I guess it depends on the market, but you're in Dallas. We have a lot of assets in Dallas in our group. Um, what, what kind of... Um, you know, uh, rent increases are you seeing in those markets like Dallas and say a Phoenix or something like that? Yeah. In, in Dallas and in most of the country, I'll separate Phoenix and, and Vegas are very different, but most of the country, I think what we're really seeing is um, I would say like what I would call exaggerated seasonality. And by that, I mean, these last couple of years, we really didn't see any seasonal patterns. We saw, you know, initially a big slowdown and then we saw this big bounce. Um, so these last, so again, the fall winter months, uh, we saw some slight rent cuts in most of the country on a month or month basis. Um, and in Phoenix and Vegas, uh, we saw more extreme. It was, you know, booming a couple of years ago and through 20 early parts, 2022, yeah. um, those markets have pulled back much more significantly, still a little bit more, um, you know, sensitive to changes and whatnot, but overall, you know, we're seeing year over year increases in the, in the low single digits as opposed to the double digits right now. Right. Let me ask you a question. So, um, I think the, this, uh, this would be helpful to clarify for the audience interest rate you know how how 
interest rates work in multifamily. Um, obviously, we're looking at today uh, as uh, this morning, the Fed ticked up another 25 basis points. Um, but then the 10-year treasury was, uh, was actually coming down for a little bit. Um, but then multifamily, for the most part, is based on something called SOFR. Would you do us a favor just you know, because I think most people would not really know very much about this. Give us sort of a sense of how those numbers correlate. Yeah, the well, I, I think, you know, obviously what's what, what, whether it's so far the interest rates or, you know, the 10-year treasury or bond, I mean, everyone's in multifamily is looking for a comparison point for the cap rate. And and um, what, we're, what we've seen is that on, on, on paper, there should be um, – uh, you know, uh, we should be seeing values coming down. Yeah. And in reality, that's really not happening. And the reason for that is because the sellers have to be motivated to sell at these discounts that are required for buyers to make these deals work, right? Because buyers can't buy with the cost of debt, what it is at the cap rates that we saw from the last couple of years, you know, be seeing sub 4% cap rates when the cost of debt is you know five or six you just can't right, do it right? right right and so where we're at this so so part of what's really happening here i think it's kind of widely misunderstood is that you know most investors are locked in at rates that are well below the current rate so they yep. have no motivation to sell right. so they're really cash flowing and they're happy yeah. and yeah. Yeah. yeah right yeah so so you know so i think the end result is um, is just this slowing of just transactions. That's the real impact. And, you know, I kind of laugh when I see people say, Hey, oh, oh, you know, we see this publicly traded REITs like, Hey, these values are down 20%. It's like, I guarantee you, if your values are down 20%, you would have a thousand buyers lined up to buy that asset. Like yeah. that's not real life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, so let's, let's drill down a little bit on that. Um, I guess that, uh, backup there though, that, uh, between buyers and sellers, we're, we're obviously seeing that there's just, you know, the market is dead, you know, yeah. we're, not, we're not, but on the other hand, um, it does seem like there is potentially some distress on the horizon, right? Yes. Um, we, do you want to address that? Talk a little bit about that and why we haven't seen it sort of violently yet. Sure. So it's a great topic. And I think this is, you know, I think what a lot of the um, you know, kind of more distant observers of multifamily are, are struggling to grasp, which is that, yes, there's going to be some distress, but it's not going to be a market-wide collapse. And here's why. Number one, we mentioned earlier, you know, most owners are cash flowing at, uh, and locked in at long-term debt that is well below the current rate. So there's no issue there. Now, where the exceptions are, are really going to be two categories where you're going to see some pockets of distress. That's the term I'd use. There's going to be pockets of distress. Number one, you're going to see short-term value-add investors. You know, these are the equivalent of single-family flip players. These are the, you know, two, three-year holds. You're going to do some CapEx. You're going to sell the property. Well, you use short-term floating debt. Now, so if you look at the value-add buyers from 2021, early 2022, who bought at peak prices with the assumption they're going to do big CapEx, raise the rents 10 20%, and then be able to refinance at a, at a still low rate, that math's not working anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I think by the time, you know, you think if they're in, you know, let's say two year, um, you know, locked in for two years, then they're, then the rate resets that really puts us in late 23, early 24, before we start to see some of that distress pop up. So there's, it's going to happen where you have some buyers, I'm sorry, owners who just can no longer see the cash flow to cover the cost of debt. And they're going to be forced 
to sell or is it going to be some, you know, rescue capital, MESDED or um, preferred equity, whatnot. And then the other category is going to be pockets of certain types of lease ups where, you know, the lease up uh, is not achieving its pro forma targets. You get to a refinancing event. They're not achieving the rent or the occupancy they need for the, to get the cash flow they need. And there's going to need to be an injection of capital there. So they're doing capital calls or again, you're seeing some, some distress event emerge in some of those situations. So based on what you just said, have you guys projected, you said sort of late 23, early 24, is that also when you, because of that sort of, um, is that when you think the housing market comes back, the multifamily housing market comes back? Because all of a sudden you have got maybe a potentially a little bit of a reset right? If you've got distress sales and that sort of thing, or is there a, is there another answer to that? Yeah, no, I, I think so. I, I think, uh, and uh, you know, bear in mind the, the crystal ball is very fuzzy these days. So yeah. you know, th- don't hold me to this, but I think the second half of the year, we're going to see more sales. I don't think it'll be um, as busy as it was in 21. We saw record levels of, of transactions, but I think the thawing, I, I'm sorry, I think the freeze will thaw some by then and we'll see um, a little bit of a reset between some buyers and sellers. But again, the vast majority of owners, I think are still going to say, Hey, look, I'm, I'm, I'm good. So yeah, but yeah. I do think we'll see more opportunities second half of the year. You know, one of the things that comes up when we talk about distress is, you know, in this scenario, right? I mean, we have, it, we had an incredible increase in rates. And so the number of, the number of operators that will be in distress is not small. It, it it's significant, right? Obviously, lenders don't want to take these properties back. Uh, do you foresee some kind of, you know, rescue in terms of you know the actual lenders because you know they they don't want to, they don't want to take <laughs> become landlords. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, I think very few are actually going to go that far. Um, yeah. And the reason for that is number one, there's a lot of buzz in the industry right now among um, traditional equity investors. They're now looking for preferred equity deals. And so they're looking to basically slide into the top of the capital stack, mm-hmm. be the rescue and then position themselves to eventually potentially take over the asset. And there's quite, I mean, you know, we'll see if the proof's in the pudding, but you know, the buzz around the industry is there's quite a bit of, you know, dry powder looking for that strategy because they see it as a um, higher yield, lower risk investment than an acquisition at a lower cap rate. So um, a traditional acquisition. And the other side of it too, is I think you're going to see a lot of owners who are reaching distress who would um, rather sell and, and try to break even uh, as close as possible than just lose everything altogether. So I don't think we're going to see a lot that goes uh, truly into foreclosure. And what does is going to be, you know, very unique sort of messy stuff. Do you guys even try at this point to, uh, you know, really to predict what rates are going to be? No, no, no. I, I tell you <laughs> forecasting interest rates is this is like a fool's errand. just like forecasting the price of oil. Like That's it's right. just, yeah, you're just guaranteed. All you're doing is saying, "Hey, you know, hold me accountable. Or something I'm going to be wrong for." That's it. Right. So That's I, right. I try to avoid that as much as I can. You could just, yeah, look at curves all you want, but I'm not going to talk about it, right? Yeah, um, yeah. yeah I, I think you know. I, I mean, obviously, the mainstream expectation is that you know rates will be coming down uh, by the time we get into next year, and I think that's a reasonable expectation. But I, you know, I'm not going to stake my career yeah. on it. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um. How, um, 
You know, one of the things that you mentioned was that generally, as a general rule, that maybe some of these uh, rate increases, um, or no, I'm sorry, not rate, but rent increases have leveled off. And what I find a little bit difficult to understand with that is, you know, unemployment's really not a problem. Yeah. And wages don't seem to be a problem. Mm-hmm. So why are rents, uh, why are rents uh, leveling off? Yeah. You know, I, I think this is uh, your, your question is great. That's my favorite topics because, you know, a lot of people still assume that, you know, there's some sort of jobs to demand ratio in the apartment market. All brokers put this in their packets. It's a bogus metric, but you know, we've never before seen a period like this, which is you have great job growth. You got great wage growth. They didn't quite keep up with inflation, but you know, it's still the biggest numbers we've seen in 30 plus years. And yet, and unemployment's really low. Unemployment's lowest level in 50 plus years. And so, and yet there's very little demand, not just for apartments, but for any type of housing. People aren't buying houses, not renting single-family homes and, and any kind of big net new numbers. Or, and obviously not seeing a lot of apartment demand. So, you know, I think what's really happening over the last nine, 12 months has been this, um, you know, low consumer confidence that then manifests in the form of uh, reduced household formation. People just aren't moving around as much as they were previously. Um, now, having said all that, I, I think all that job growth and wage growth, it creates pent up demand for housing. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm of the view that as we, we and, you know, we'll see here in these, you know, we're about to enter the peak leasing season, you know, April through August is the busy season. Um, and so I'm of the view though, that we're going to see some pretty good demand, not, not, not 21 levels come in, but I think we'll see some solid net new demand for apartments this year from people who said, you know what, last year was too crazy. I'm going to wait it out. And now they're saying, okay, there's better deals out there. Rents aren't up as much. There's more vacancy, more supply, more options. I think people are going to move around more and we'll see some better demand. In places like DFW, um, there is overall, correct me if I'm wrong, but a, a, you know, a shortage of multifamily dwellings. So that has got to also play into this, right? I mean, in terms of uh, the, the, the pressure going back up. Yeah, well, I mean, yes and no. I mean, there there is a shortage, absolutely. Uh, but the problem that I think the problem all across the country and in DFW is that the shortage is predominantly impacting the the the, the more affordable end of the market, um, and you can't really build affordable housing without subsidies, and you can't build a Class C, you can't build a Class B apartment. Yep. So most of what gets built is Class A expensive apartments, and those will get leased up. But it's but you know you're competing with a fairly finite pool of demand at those price points, and so. Uh, there's a little bit of a mismatch there, uh, but at the end of the day, we just need more housing of all types, and that'll help. Now, to answer you, you know the question on the rents, though, is that you know what we're seeing is that with all the supply and the market and the slowdown of the demand, that vacancy's gone up, and so you know supply and demand is there's more vacancy. It puts um, yeah, it, it it removes some of the upward pressure on on prices. So these things are cyclical, right? I mean, we're going to see it move up and down, but you know right now we're at a point where you know we're increasing vacancy is going to is reducing the um uh the the rent growth isn't the vacancy is that you know how does that work when you look at a class versus b class versus c class because you know the way i think about it i think of people kind of moving down the ladder so if vacancy is up um in a class does that mean that it's potentially slightly down in b class or how does that work i mean just because i think people including me sometimes wonder well, where are these people going if there's all sorts of vacancy, right? They got to live yeah. somewhere. 
Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, first of all, when I say Vegas is going up, it's going up from the lowest levels in history. Sure. And so it's not up that much right. uh, in the grand scheme of things. Now, and it is, it's changing the same right now in class A, B, and C. And so it's not that they're really going anywhere because we're not seeing a lot of move outs. It's just, that it's just that people aren't really moving in from, you know, there's not seeing any net new creation of these last uh, six months. Now, what we do think, you know, I'll tell you, my view is that as more supply is entering the market at the class A level, I, and that's really going to be hitting these, you know, next 10, 12 months, um, maybe actually probably beyond the end of the first half of 2024. I think we'll see much more vacancy in class A than we do in class B and C. I think the, I mean, the price point, I mean, you mentioned, you know, the, the, maybe the flight to affordability, but the challenge also is that the price point and the difference between A and B and C has gotten so big that they're really dealing with different demographics. Yep. So you're not going to see a big spike in availability for class B and C apartments. Yeah. That's right. That's right. I mean, basically, you're just saying like the A people are not going to move down to C class, no. right? Right. Exactly. No, that makes sense. Well, no. In fact, what's going to happen is the class A people are moving around, but they're going to another class A property that's offering a big concession because at least that competition. Yeah. Like that's where the discounts are going to be. Like the best deals are going to go to the higher income renters and class A properties on a relative basis. I'm curious how this. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's all baked into the economy, but the current banking crises that are happening, is that affecting the real estate market at all? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. There's a lot of conversation about this, uh, but as I talk to folks in the industry, it, it really doesn't have a direct impact. Now, but before I say anything more, I mean, obviously what everybody's really worried about is that, is that there's some sort of snowball effect to the broader economy. So obviously we want to be careful that does not happen, but, but, but on a direct impact basis, it's pretty muted, you know, signature bank, was a major multifamily lender in the New York area. So there is, you know, some of that impact, but you know, all of that's being picked up by others in terms of servicing. Um, but, you know, in general, as you know, in for the multifamily side, you know, the GSCs, Fannie and Freddie are the big players and they're mm-hmm. not impacted by right. this. So, and, and there's a big article in the Wall Street Journal about commercial um, real estate exposure among banks, but you know, a lot of that is really more on the office side where you're dealing with high vacancy and, you know, some cases where the, uh, the the owners can't pay the debt service anymore. So multifamily is not really directly impacted at this point. Right. You mentioned Fannie Freddie and, and, and that, you know, leads to another question, which is, you know, one of the things that we're seeing um, is that, you know, Fannie, it's, it's, it's a much tougher deal to work with Fannie and Freddie now, less leverage, more requirements. Uh, do you see that loosening up anytime soon? Uh, I mean, I think it will a little bit and I've heard it a little bit. I mean, remember they have caps. They are supposed to, you they're know, supposed to, they're right. supposed to hit, they can't exceed. So they do want to achieve certain volumes. And part of their mandate is, uh, is, is really to keep a lick, the market pretty liquid mm-hmm. and especially in, um, you know, the, the, the more affordable end of the market, uh, where they have some mandates to really service. So, um, so I, I think that there's going to be, I mean, obviously they're still impacted by, you know, higher interest rates and whatnot, but I think, I, I think they're going to do what they can within reason to, uh, to remain active players. But they hate to, you know, obviously economists don't like to predict the future, but they do. <laughs> right? That's right. Yeah. And, and uh, so tell me what you're, how you think this is going. Give me a one year a three-year and maybe a you know five-year perspective on multifamily in terms of how you guys are looking. And obviously you're advising a lot of large groups and that kind of thing. I just sort of, uh, I'm kind of curious what your take is even more. You've talked about the one year, basically. I mean, you're looking at some yeah. dips and maybe it coming back, but you know, three years from now and, 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 and beyond, 
Um, tell us what you guys are projecting. Yeah, like you said, I mean, the next year is going to be choppy. It's a tough time to enter the market for a short-term value-add player that's been a big part of the market the last, last really 10-plus years. Um, but long-term, it's, you know, I think people have to take a step back and realize that, you know, the, the structural tailwinds behind multifamily really haven't changed. You know, the demographic story is favorable. The cost of rent versus own, despite all the rent growth, is actually more favorable than ever. Um, you know, the, um, you, you know, your, your, the, the, the need to have a home, like you can work from anywhere, you can, you can shop from anywhere, order food from anywhere, but you got to have a home. And that's a, a big structural driver, the shortage of housing, um, you know, uh, there's all, there's numerous, everyone's worried about millennials or aging up in the family homes. Well, they forget that, you know, Gen Z is just as big, if not bigger, they're coming right behind them. Right. So there's a lot of very positive drivers that will remain factors. And by the way, that's why you talk to, you know, the largest investors, I mean, you know, they still love multifamily for that sure. reason. These things aren't going away. There's no, there's noise, sure, in the short term, but, you know, these long-term factors aren't going away. So we're still pretty bullish on the next two to five years. I don't think we're going to see anything like what we saw. I mean, if you're a new investor since COVID, you need to sort of erase <laughs> your mind of what you think is normal because right. it's not. Right. But I think what we'll see these next three to five years is more like what we saw in the 2000s decade, 2010s decade. Um, which is, you know, three to 5% rent growth, 95% occupancy. Yeah. Um, um, would you mind for us like sort of compare and contrast? Cause we, you know, we, we've talked about multifamily, but there are some single family investors and that kind of thing. Yeah. What's going on in that part of the real estate market right now? Is it pretty parallel? I mean, it seems like it's, um, it's a little bit of a different animal. It is a different animal, but I'll tell you, it's like one of the, one of the things that, um, always fascinates me is, is, you know, you have, you have multifamily homers, you got SFR homers and you got the for sale, you know, home building homers. And what I always try to remind them is like, look, like all of y'all are riding the same basic, you know, um, you know, winds or, uh, the, you're on the same, or you're riding the same waves here. Like they go up and down together. We see demand for all types of housing ebbs and flows together. I mean, you look at, the, the big home home buying boom of 2021 or even the mid 2000s, there was a lot of rental demand at the same time. And so, and then when the home buying stopped, we didn't see a lot of rental demand. So SFR is barely a, really a similar situation right now where there's not been a lot of demand at the same time. You have more supply. There's a lot of, uh, you know, build to rent communities, which are obviously apartment SFR hybrids. And then there's about a hundred thousand of that coming in, coming online. Plus you got, um, you know, we're seeing more homes from and owners who don't want to sell, who are choosing to rent out their homes for a period of time. So there's more inventory on the market. That's putting more, that's, that's putting, um, um, some pressure, uh, downward pressure on rents also. Um, so they're very different in terms of who they cater to and demographics. Uh, but the overall performance has been very, very similar. Um, just going back to your comment on investors, having this is still, a, you know, a, a darling, uh, asset in multifamily and that sort of thing. Um, what, I mean, there's got to be a tremendous amount of pent up demand. I know, you know, certainly even in our group, people want to deploy capital, right? And there's nowhere to yeah. play it. And I, you know, you, you hear about uh, larger groups having mandates and that sort of thing. Where, where's that money going? Is that, is that, um, you know, where you're talking about with some people looking at preferred equity and that kind of thing mostly, or, or, or how, how is that working right now? Because, um, you know, one theory was that that pent up demand would sort of save the day, yeah. uh, but I'm, I'm not sure that it really has yet. 
Well, I think what's happening is, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of, in fact, our, you, you would know the big NMHC meeting was in January or February, I guess it was yeah. early February this year in, in Vegas. And I was really struck by the fact that it's like, everybody's a buyer. There's so much dry powder out there. You see the oh, yeah. this anecdotally say, but, the, but also too, it's like, nobody wants to be a dumb buyer. And right. So there's all this capital but they're waiting for the right moment. Maybe they wait too long. We'll see. But I think um, what's happening is a lot of these, um, you know, asset managers, investment managers, they're telling their investors, Hey, you know, sit tight with us a little bit. These opportunities are coming. Yep. The money's the cap. They're saying at least the capital's there. And at the right moment, we're going to see it. So I, I ultimately think that, you know, the downside we were see, we mentioned some of this distress coming. I think there's a really kind of, there's a hedge of protection here with all this dry powder that really wants to be investing, but just can't justify, you know, a four and a half percent cap rate right now. Right. Right. Fantastic. Well, uh, Jay, thanks uh, so much for joining us. Uh, what do you, what, what are you making of your Cowboys this year? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, if every Cowboys fan knows that every year starts with tremendous optimism and ends in, in terrible defeat. So uh, I'm kind of I'm kind of conditioned to uh, forecast the same for this year. Yeah, well, I'm a Vikings fan. So, you know, I don't want to hear any complaints from you. <laughs> anyway, Jay, thanks so much for joining us on Well Formula Podcast. Love to have you back in the near future. I'd love that. Thank you. Be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it. I had some chicken soup, and I'm feeling a little bit better now. Anyway, I think the, the again, the big theme here with Jay is that, you know, right now we're in a period of some pain, and I think there is a little bit of pruning that will happen. I think it's going to be harder and harder for, you know, everybody to jump into the multifamily game like they have over the last, oh gosh, since 2008, 15 years. So where people have really made money no matter what, and then it made everybody else go into the game. That's not to hope anything negative for these people, but I think there's a pruning uh, effect that happens in these situations. I think you're going to see that. I do think that there is generally pain, um, even with you know the best of operators, as we've seen some equity calls and things like that. But the good news is, as Jay has uh, suggested, that there is an incredibly strong demand for this type of asset as well which along with you know the idea that you know there 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 will be a, a day when the fed is not raising rates when inflation is down and and uh so far is reflective of that current situation where rates will come down and at least at the very least stabilize i don't see them coming down a lot but i do see them stabilizing and creating goalposts that people can use when it comes to underwriting and sellers can use as a basis for what they're asking for properties. And that's what we don't have right now. But that's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this show and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Worried about saving too little too late for retirement? The Wealth Accelerator may be exactly what you need. With the help of some of the oldest and most reliable insurance companies in the country, Wealth Accelerator allows you to take most of the upside of any good year in the stock market and use bank loans to magnify those returns significantly. 
And what if the stock market has a bad year? No need to fear. Wealth Accelerator is engineered so you don't participate in the losses of the market, no matter how bad of a year it is. Sounds too good to be true, right? But it's not. It's simply the same financial engineering that the ultra wealthy have been doing for years. Now it's your turn. Check it out for yourself by going to wealthformulabanking.com. Again, that's wealthformulabanking.com.